This is The Straight Dope, episode 55. If you like listening to this podcast and you want to help support it, the only way to do it right now is to go to riflecraft.com and get a subscription, order a t-shirt. The subscription gives you analytics and metrics that are above the base free level, and it supports the podcast and the growth and development of everything on the website and podcast. So whether or not you're using the site actively or not, you can help support it by subscribing for what would be cheaper than letting me shoot a magazine of your ammunition at a comp training or range day. It really does go a long way and it helps everything associated with Riflecraft, the Straight Dope podcast and projects that are rolling out from here. But you didn't tune in for me to say that, so we'll see. Thank you for the support, those of you that are subscribing. And uh, consider it if, if you don't. Now, we have been rolling out individual and group assessments, getting data and seeing what's helping people grow, which is awesome. It's helping restructure and reframe a lot behind the scenes at Riflecraft and we're helping have shooters obtain measurable results. And I think that's pretty cool because a lot of times you hear about a class that was fun or a class that was cool, but then you don't see those shooters perform better and we're trying to quantify that. And right now things are looking very positive. One thing that comes up when it comes time to talk about shooting and performance is hitting stuff at a distance. And that's where the big disconnect comes from people that like to shoot paper and people that don't like to shoot paper, that we're training for shooting things that are far away. Why focus on paper? Well, the reason we focus on paper is that it helps you identify, isolate, and know for sure that your fundamentals are solid. Because if things are a certain size up close, they're not going to shrink with distance, right? They're only going to expand. And so if they expand to the point where you've got overlapping variables, you don't know why you really missed. And rather than go down that rabbit hole of saying, you know, here's 10 reasons why you missed that target at 1,000, we can isolate them much better at 100 and work on those specifics so that those specifics get better. And then we could say, based on that target size, this is why you missed and have more confidence explaining why you may have missed. Or instead of 10 reasons, we have three and we can test those three reasons and isolate it. Now, wind is one of those elements that's always going to be a possible cause for a miss, but I think it gets blamed for a lot more. So this episode is stemming from conversations that I've had, stemming from prior episodes like the new view of ballistics. I have been kind of circling the concept of wind now for a couple years, go out and do my wind tests, I go out and do my wind training, and I'm trying to wrap my head around some variables of how to measure wind. And why would you choose a caliber for a certain application? To me, the concept of wind gets avoided a lot, or it gets answered in a way that, that kind of makes sense, but it doesn't necessarily hint towards why you would want to do it or how to look at it. So this is going to be a conversation. The conversation is going to be centered around why I look at wind more and more, how I look at wind at, in, the, in my current state, and, and how, you might, might, blah, how you might change your view 
on your caliber and win after this conversation. Now, to do that, I'm going to ask you to do a couple of things. I just pulled up an old range card for a rifle, and it's got you know ranges that extend out to a thousand yards. It's got every twenty yards, and it's got wind brackets. Now, this is a couple years old, but it has uh, seven mile an hour, fourteen mile an hour, and twenty one mile an hour wind brackets. Because out here, that's not unusual. So that I could say, okay, well, you know, the wind is whatever, and I look and I have my reference for seven fourteen twenty one. And I make my best wind, wind guess. Now, this is a couple of years ago. I don't do it this way anymore. But you might have a system where you write down your wind columns or your wind something or other. And then you know, okay, I think the wind's six miles an hour. You hold your six mile an hour and you adjust accordingly. That's all fine and good. It works. You see some of the top shooters do those wind brackets. But do you understand your abilities that underlay your, 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 your decision-making and do you understand the effects of your load or a different load and caliber? And so I want to back up and ask you to do a couple things. The first thing I want you to do is go get your ballistic calculator or go get your Kestrel. This is something that I have been doing more and more recently and showing people more and more one-on-one. I want you to pick a distance that's around the gun number, right? So if you, if, you know, most of us are probably shooting six-mile-an-hour guns. So you put 600 yards out there and... No wind. You could take out spin drift. You can add spin drift. I don't, I don't really care. Then what I want you to do is enter no wind and, and see what your left and right hold is going to be. And then add, a, add one mile an hour wind and write down the drift that would occur with one mile an hour added to that. And it, it, you don't have to have it set at zero and one. It could be two miles an hour and three. What we're looking for is the difference between that in that one mile an hour change of wind. And this, is, this isn't the be-all, end-all. This is just a visualization for you. So if, if, you, if you plug it in, and let's, let's just say, hypothetically, your, your rifle goes, um, it adds something. Uh, let's say it adds two-tenths at 600 yards for one-mile-an-hour wind. That means that wh- whatever your group size at 100 is, right, if the wind shifts one mile an hour from what you thought it was, your expected hit is now two-tenths larger. Or, or, or we could say if, if, if one mile an hour at your gun distance, and it is six miles an hour, it's probably going to shift at one-tenth of wind, right? Or about a quarter of an MOA or, or whatever. You know, I, I, get, I get that it's 0.36 but, um, mils per, per inch, but... If you if you're going to be adjusting in clicks or or with your reticle, you know a mile an hour at 600 yards is about one tenth, right? For you know speaking in, in massive generalizations, but but it's pretty darn close, right? So you have one mile an hour of wind moving your bullet a tenth at 600 yards. So if you shoot one inch group, now you've got a one inch, or, or let's say you shoot a group that is, is an inch, so it's 0.36 mils. If you shoot 0.36 mils, but the wind changes up and down one mile an hour, you're going to add a tenth to that group. If it changes up and down two miles an hour, you're going to add two tenths to that group. So all of a sudden, your 0.36 group is now 0. 0.46, 0. 0.56, 0. 0.66. So very quickly, you know, it's around three and a half miles an hour, 
variation left and right, you're going to add an MOA to your shot group. Now, at 100, it's not going to do that because one mile an hour doesn't move it a tenth like it does at 600 yards. But we shoot at a distance, and it does translate pretty well in the, the, the style that I like to speak in, which is a little bit of a field generalization. But if I'm thinking, you know, at, at the ranges that I like to shoot, let's say 400 to 900 yards, I've got about a tenth per mile an hour. Now it's going to be a tenth, it's going to be 1.5 or 2 maybe out at 900 or 1,000, depending on what I'm shooting. If I'm shooting my 223, it's going to be much more. If I'm shooting my 65 PRC, it's going to be less. But in general, you know, if we think this way, when you shoot a group on paper at 100, the level of wind uncertainty that you have is going to add that much more to your group. So let's say the wind is going up and down by three miles an hour, up and down, up and down, up and down, and you don't adjust at all. You just shoot. And it's going from four miles an hour to five miles an hour to six miles an hour and back. So you hold five miles an hour. Sometimes it drops to four. Sometimes it goes up to six. Um, You're going to add, you know, within that range, I'm going to consider each mile an hour bracket a tenth. So even if you held five miles an hour within that one, there's going to be some left and right variation. So you've got that three to three and a half mile an hour swing up and down, up and down, up and down, your one MOA group is now two MOA. So for you to have 100% hit probability, if you do everything right in those conditions, you're going to have to be shooting at a two MOA size target, not a one MOA size target. If you shoot a group that's one MOA at 600 yards at a one MOA target and the wind is fluctuating up and down in that zone, Right, you're holding for five, but sometimes it goes down into the four, and sometimes it goes up into the six. There's going to be a chance, right? A, a statistical chance, right? Now we're talking probability. You could shoot and hit dead center, but you could do the exact same thing and miss off the right. You could do the exact same thing and miss off the left. What's going to determine that is your base group size and your ability to read and bring the wind speed down to lower and lower. So if you look online or you talk to people about reading wind, they say, well, what's your comfort level reading the wind? How do you read the wind? If you shoot a group and you know you're consistently shooting a certain size group and you put that bracket up on a target at distance, you might have budget on that target to the left and to the right that's going to tell you what your wind budget is. And so the way I'm thinking about this is if you can overlay your shooter bracket with your wind bracket, what I'm calling the combined shooter bracket, and we've built this into Riflecraft now for subscribers, so it's going to calculate that for you. You're going to put the parameters of distance and variable wind speed. So if I can usually read the wind at two and a half miles an hour, then I'm going to have a certain addition to my shooter bracket and I could put that up on a target and say okay you know when I read wind I'm comfortable you know within this bracket now if I get it right it's going to hit now if I get it wrong I could still hit but there's a chance that I'll miss where do I tend to go to too much wind too little wind right the pro side or the amateur side however you want to look at it 
But that's going to be part of the shot process. That's going to be part of the thought process. And the ability to advise a shooter, this isn't a target that you can hit with certainty or with 98% certainty, 99% certainty, right? There's always a chance that something could go wrong, but within your ability, you have the skill to shoot the right size group and you have the skill or the tools and technology to read the wind so that you could, with confidence, hit this target. So let's back up a little bit and we'll repeat that again. Grab your ballistics calculator for your particular load. Set it out to a range that is an average range for your competition, an average range for the hunt distance that you want to be on, an average range for where, or, or the distance that you have steel set up. And calculate in the difference between miles per hour. Now, obviously, the, the hold is going to shift but it's going to be it's going to be consistent. So if you go from 2 to 3 or 3 to 4 or 4 to 5 miles an hour, it doesn't matter. That difference is what we're looking at. We're looking at the difference that your bullet moves based on a mile an hour. Obviously the BC and the speed, bullet weight is going to play a role in that, but we're not trying to program in anything or get so anal with the numbers. We're trying to get a generalized thing. If it says 1.4, I'm going to say it's a what you know, one and a half. Or I'm going to round, and, and typically I'll round up to be conservative. So if I'm at like 1.6, uh, I'm going to just round it up to two. Because I would rather err on the side of understanding um, that I have a higher percentage of missing. But, 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 but for instance, um, you know, the difference between my 5.56 and my 6.5 Creedmoor at distance, my 6.5 Creedmoor might hold a tenth and my and my 5.56 now has to hold three tenths per mile an hour. So even though they shoot the exact same group size at 100 yards, at eight or 900 yards, one only adds a tenth per mile an hour, and the other one adds three tenths per mile an hour. So all of a sudden, the probability of hit, it has nothing to do with my ability to shoot the rifle. It has nothing to do with the group size or the load um, development Necessarily, I mean, it, it does because the velocity is slowing down, the bullet weight's light, the BC of the bullet is different. But what it does say is that at 100 yards, I can shoot the same size target with confidence. At 200 yards, same thing probably. 300 yards, the same thing. My wind reading ability isn't so fine-tuned that fractions of a mile an hour are something that I can outshoot. But one mile an hour difference has a tenth variation on my 6.5 Creedmoor and has a three-tenths variation on my 5.56. So I could make a perfect wind call and hit dead center with my 6.5 Creedmoor and I use that exact same wind hold and I miss the target with my 5.56, not because the wind speed changed, but because it moves the bullet much more with much more minor variations uh, in wind, and I can't read the wind to one mile an hour. So if I can read the wind at two miles an hour, I have a six-tenth variation on where that bullet goes. Well, six-tenths is a lot, right? We're closing in on two MOA variation with two miles an hour of wind speed change, whereas with my 6.5 Creedmoor, I've got two-tenths. And so I could literally shoot a one-tenth group. I could shoot a one MOA plate with a good wind call most of the time, Right at 800 yards, 700 yards, 
I can't do that with my 5.56. So the 6.5 Creedmoor obviously is a better gun in the wind. It doesn't allow me to train those subtle wind variations as well as the 5.56, but the 5.56 requires a much bigger target or an understanding of those subtle variations. So you want to find a pick the sweet spot of the wind trainer that you have. I hear sometimes people say, well, I got a 308 for a wind trainer, or I got a 223 for a wind trainer. Well, if the wind training, if you're training out west and the wind is going from 8 to 15 miles an hour, you're not training wind anymore, really, right? Because the wind variation is such that all of a sudden at 6, 7, 8, 900 yards, you're going to have to be shooting... Um, a tractor trailer to be able to get impacts reliably because it's outside of you know that the 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 zone where you're getting really good feedback. If the wind is changing one or two miles an hour, perfect. At a thousand yards with my five five six, I love shooting a thousand yards with my five five six when the wind is one or two miles an hour variation. Shoots great groups. As soon as it breaks that two-mile-an-hour zone, it's too hard for me to hit it reliably, and all of a sudden we're just gambling, and it's no longer training. It's just proving statistics that we could have proved on paper anyway. The problem with some of the data and the statistics and the visualizations that are out there now, it's that, you know, yeah, it proves itself, but we could prove it to ourselves that our wind-reading ability needs work versus our shooting, or vice versa. If I say, okay, my wind-reading is two-and-a-half miles an hour, but my shooting is 2 MOA. Clearly, I need to work on my shooting and not my wind reading. If my shooting is 1 MOA and my wind reading is 2.5 miles an hour, well, which one has a bigger spread at the distances that I like to shoot? Is 2.5 mile an hour variation bigger than 1 MOA at the distance that I'm shooting at? At some point, the caliber that you're shooting is going to spread out more at that distance with wind. But if it doesn't, if I'm shooting a 12-mile-an-hour gun at 800 yards, the biggest area of improvement isn't to bring my 2.5-mile-an-hour wind call to 2 miles an hour or 1.7 miles an hour. I'm going to get the biggest bang for my buck bringing my 1-inch shoot to 3 quarters of an inch or to a half inch because I think that you could take your 1-inch load or, or your one-inch fundamentals and bring your one-inch fundamentals to half-inch group faster than you can bring a two-and-a-half-mile-an-hour wing call to a one-and-a-half-mile-an-hour wing call. Personally, I think it gets harder and harder to read the wind as you go from four to three, three to two, two to one. I think that it, it's much easier to go from, you, you know, that, that's like saying, um, you know, if you're a two-inch shooter, we could pretty quickly get you to be one-inch shooter. One inch shooter to three quarters of an inch, that's that's probably as much or a little more work than two to one. Going from three quarters to half, you're probably gonna double that too. And then from half to a quarter inch, you know, that, that might be ten times harder to do. And it have have a lot to do with your load development, your barrel, your equipment. All of a sudden we're asking things that are very complicated. But to go to be a one inch shooter is a good goal. It's going to take some work to bring you to a half inch, but going from one inch to a half inch is much easier, I think, in time, effort, 
and 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 just the work volume time commitment than it is to go from a two mile an hour wind reader to a one mile an hour wind reader. That that's like going from a third of an inch to 0.25. It's very 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 hard. And anyway, that's my opinion. But I do think that if you balance out your ability and you assess yourself on paper, this is part. It's 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 one fifth of the measurements that we do at the unconventional skill assessment. We were one fifth of that is devoted to your ability to read wind and make a first round impact. And most people coming in are doing it to about five miles an hour. So um, the people that, that we've assessed and granted it's not statistically significant, but I have been measuring friends and some of those friends are very high level shooters. Some of those are very extremely, um, well-trained through the government and military. Some of them are high-level hunters, and, and, and then some of them are, are beginners. And, you know, it's not uncommon to have people say, okay, you know, this is my wind call. They prove it. They shoot it. We measure it. They say, okay, you were off by about, you know, four miles an hour. Let's work at how we're doing that. We measure it. We quantify it. We get 30, 40 shots with these measurements, and we say, okay, now let's look at this. We, I, I'm going to be able to cut that down at least by a mile an hour, maybe more, that same day. Okay, how much did that improve hit percentage? It depends on the target. It depends on the distance, but it brings down that group by one mile an hour. How much is one mile an hour? Well, you just I just asked you to pull out your ballistic calculator and say, if I reduced my wind call by one mile an hour, how much smaller is my group going to be? Or how much more budget on that target did I just gain? Is it real estate enough that I could dial the difference? Or can I visually outshoot that difference? If it's a tenth, maybe you can, maybe you can't. If shooting one-tenth left or right gets swallowed up by your group, let's say you shoot three inches. If you shoot a three-inch group, you know, I'm talking about craft craft drills, but but let's say you shoot a three-inch craft drill. If I make a difference that brings that in by one-tenth, well, that, that's going to be a small percentage of your overall shooting. So if I improve your wind calling such that your three-inch group goes to a 2.75-inch group, I don't think that we're going to statistically see that as a change in points or a change in hit percentage on most targets out at distance. What we're going to see the biggest gains on is bringing that three-inch group to a two-inch group, <coughs> right? Because now all of a sudden you've gained three-tenths, three-and-a-half-tenths, right? So that would be um, the equivalent of changing your wind reading by three-and-a-half miles an hour. So if I bring your three-inch group to a two-inch group, I just bought you three-and-a-half miles an hour of wind, right? But there is that crossover, and now I feel like maybe my train of thought is repeating itself over and over again. But ballistically speaking, your wind reading ability marries up to your shooting ability, and they work together in determining your hit percentage. Now, granted, you need to know the distance. You need to know, um, you know, a lot of a lot of other things. You need to know the extreme spread of your bullet. But most of the time the minutiae that gets tossed around like, oh, how much does an extreme spread of 10 versus 5 matter? You can't shoot that difference, right? There are very few people that can pick up, pick up a field gun or a PRS rifle and shoot the difference between an ES of 10 and 5, right? Because most people are shooting craft group sizes over 2 inches. If, you're, if you have that much variation... An extreme spread between 10 and 15 isn't, isn't going to matter, right? Now, statistically, yeah, there's going to be one shot that's high or low, 
but you're going to have so many misses and hits. Which one is it? If you bring the right skill level down, all of a sudden it'll open up and highlight the next skill level that you can train. This is an area that I think is worth talking about. It's worth emphasizing. It's worth it so much that I've now opened up the unconventional skill assessment with Frank so that we could show people firsthand, here's your low-hanging fruit. Because you can't quantify it and visualize it yourself. You could. I'm telling you how to do that. And if you do that for all of the skills in shooting and you quantify all of those skills, you'll know exactly which ones that you need to train, right? We could do it for you, but you could, you could do it yourself, right? I'm self-motivated. I developed this based on my interest in being self-motivated and capable. I don't have particular outlets that I'm trying to raise my individual skill for performance. You know, I feel like I perform pretty good when I want to. I want to be able to help shooters and understand shooting at a higher level. And this is working. Think about your caliber selection based on how much one mile an hour of wind moves it. Then think about how well do you read wind? Do you read it to one mile an hour? Now, I'm not saying that your Kestrel tells you, oh, the wind is eight miles an hour. That's not what I'm talking about. When you use everything at your disposal to determine what the wind speed is for your hold, you have a wind plan for your target, and you shoot, is it a dead center hit or not? Because if it isn't, now, you, you, you know, you might shoot big groups anyway, right? But there's a good chance that that whole wind plan that you developed was based on a foundation of an incorrect wind speed. That's what we're talking about. We're saying... When you make this plan, when you make your wind plan, I'm making my wind plan for eight miles an hour. That could mean the wind is six. It could mean the wind is 10, right? If I have a plus or minus two mile an hour, it could be six and it could be 10 and it could be eight. So when I shoot and I find out it's 10, okay, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm off by two miles an hour. That's what I'm talking about. If you're off by four miles an hour, on most competitive sized targets, four mile an hour initial wind call being off will result in a miss, even if you're a good shooter, right? So a good shooter has to refine that ability to make that initial wind call down from four miles an hour. Many shooters are missing by three or four miles an hour on that initial wind call because the way that they design and make their initial wind plan is flawed somehow, or they're not thinking about variables that are important to make that wind call. Now, I get that that's a loaded question, and I get that if I go somewhere I've never been, I'll probably do the same thing. Here I say I can read it to about two miles an hour. If I go up to Hack Creek, my guess is I can't read the wind to two miles an hour, right? Those of you who've been to Hack Creek are probably laughing. But it's the truth. I don't, I don't know how to re- read wind in places that I've never been. It's an ongoing art that requires specific inputs for specific outputs. And that's something that you have to continually learn on. But the places that you shoot and the variables that you take in do make it more likely that you'll make a better wind call. It might not be right, but it'll be a better wind call when you go to places that you're unfamiliar with. Again, I, you know, it's not a man crush thing, but, you know, Chad Heckler and Morgan King, they've been on the podcast a lot. 
they can travel to places and perform well, particularly Morgan can, he proves it, right? You don't have, you, there, there's no, there's no speculation. He can go somewhere and make a good wind call. How good is his wind call? I don't know. And if I did know, I probably wouldn't tell you unless he gave me permission to talk about his data, but he can make a better wind call than most of us on our first rounds. Sometimes, you know, most of the time. And, um, and that, that goes to show that his wind reading ability is consistently better and his follow-up ability is consistently better when he travels to different and new locations, which is an upside to traveling because you got to learn the variables that play a role and the reasons why wind moves around. And, and, but, but talking about terrain and lift and drop and bushes moving and grass wiggling, mirage at whatever particular angle, yes, you can't deny that the wind does all of that stuff, but that's minutia that may be distracting you from a bigger element of making your wind calls. And, and while, while that's been tossed around, I haven't seen people that use those methods without doing bigger, broader methods first make more accurate wind calls. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. I've had people tell me about grass moving a brush and the trees are moving this way and I'm seeing the leaves wiggle and the mirage looks like it's going up at 45 degrees and they shoot and they're off by three miles an hour, just like everybody else. But I've also seen people do other things and be on by one mile an hour and more and more consistently be closer to that one, one and a half miles an hour. I have measured shooters that are, that are shooting their initial wind call to a mile and a half of variation. That's shit hot, right? And, and it's really cool to see. They don't do it by looking at whether the mirage was 45 degrees or 30 degrees. They don't, um, you know, they're doing other things and that's layered into their system. Now you want me to tell you exactly what they're doing. And I'm telling you, when you do what other people do, you're chasing a squirrel. You need to know what you do and what you do wrong and fix what you're doing wrong by identifying, you know, your goals. And your goals are if you're shooting a two MOA target, you need to first have your shot group be under two MOA. Once you've done that, now we can talk about wind speed. If you're shooting one and a half MOA, you have half an MOA of wind variation. So you need to read the wind to a mile and a half per hour. If you read your wind to three miles an hour, you need to bring your shot group down to closer to one, 1 1.2 inches. Now you've got three miles an hour of wind variation. You want to give yourself more budget for stress, time, proper mechanics, forgetting how to do your shot process, bring it into three quarters of an inch of a shot group. Do you need to have a quarter inch? No. Is it worth the time? Maybe. But we all have limited amounts of time in our life. So what you spend the time that you have available for training is very important. We don't have all day, every day to spend doing this. If you have two hours a week, I think I would want to spend those two hours a week training exactly what I needed to get better rather than all this random shit thinking that, well, maybe if I develop my load so that my load goes from a third of an inch to a quarter of an inch, what you basically just bought yourself was half a mile an hour of wind, right? That's probably not why you're missing. So figure out why you're missing. Figure out what your fundamental flaws are. Figure out the metrics that correspond to your hit percentages, why you're hitting them, why you're missing them, and say, okay, you know, 
it might take me a year's work to shoot a craft group that's half an inch smaller. That half inch, I think now I could gain faster by bringing my wind reading ability a mile an hour better. Or whatever it is for you. So look at your ballistic calculator, figure out your wind drift per mile per hour, and then determine what's your wind reading ability. Do you need to work on your shot group? I mean, you could, you could do both, right? Clearly, you could do both. But some of these skills you don't even need to shoot to work on. And I think that that's amazing. And that's something that I've been pushing really hard for the people that I'm coaching privately is there are a lot of skills that you can train and make gains in your shooting from one shooting session to the next if you don't shoot for a week, but you do these five things or, or you do these two things five days in between those shooting sessions, you can get better at certain skills without shooting. That's cheaper and it's more efficient and they can measure that progress from one session to the next. So think about it. Break your thing apart. Look at that. Don't say, oh, well, you know, my 10 mile an hour wind hold is, um, you know, point seven at 600 yards uh, versus your point eight at 600 yards. Think about the mile an hour variation so that when there are shifts, you know that that group's going to open up by that much laterally and try to understand and break down your ability and then try to break down and understand that as that variation goes up, you're adding those metrics, those numbers to the bullet's destination in width yeah there's some height but you're not out shooting that height yet right if you if you can read the wind to five miles an hour don't worry about aerodynamic jump as much as worrying about just the wind right um so my train of thought is over i've circled around the subject multiple times you want us to do it for you a little bit subscribe to riflecraft it's not live yet I've emailed the subscribers that the, a lot of the mechanics and machinery is ready. We're changing the words. We need to add some more labels to describe where the projected thing is. We're talking about maximum projected size, which translates to hunting, like ethical hunting distance. If you shoot a 12-inch kill zone, I don't want you to have a chance of missing that kill zone. So we got 99% confidence, and we say that you know, with your group size here and your wind reading here, here's your maximum distance. I think all that is really interesting and worth talking about. It's coming to the live website. It's something that we do measure and quantify and give you PDFs and training plans with the unconventional skill assessment in person and the one-on-one -on -one coaching that I'm doing. So anyway, if you have any questions and you want to reach out to me directly, uh, you can do it through Facebook. I'm Chris Way. You can do it through Instagram. The Instagram, now that it seems like they're, freaking like multiplying like gremlins uh it's gun around the sun rifle craft the straight dope podcast you you sometimes might see me tagged as chris way that's my personal one it t tends to not have any shooting in it it has family stuff fishing and other shenanigans rock climbing and stuff like that um and my email is chrisrway at gmail.com. You can email through Riflecraft. There's a lot of ways to get a hold of me. If you know me personally, you know I like to communicate via text. So if you know me personally, you already have my number, so text me. And um, that's all I have to say about that. Uh, Cameo Shooting Facility, uh, inst it, uh, 
most of this is hearsay, but 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 like the state of Colorado had some kind of magazine ban issue or the gun stuff that's going on. There's a or it's not a magazine ban, but now they want you to sign an affidavit that says you don't own a high capacity magazine. It's not clear exactly what high capacity magazines are and whether you own one or have one. And anyway, the long story short is matches are being canceled at Cameo until clarity comes. And so the next match that I had scheduled to shoot was the NRL there and then the Guardian. And I'm not sure if those matches are actually happening anymore. I heard the the Hunter match might be moving to a different facility. The Guardian match emailed out something so that you could read through those affidavits so that um, you knew whether you were going to perjure yourself or or whatever but but you know I, I don't think a lot of us want to sign documents that make us felons um or we're not felons i mean I'm not, i i don't i'm not breaking any laws with any of the firearm stuff that i own but i also don't want to sign a document that if the rules change all of a sudden um you know i i have something that that i'm not supposed to do before i get rid of it or what one one thing or another so i think that there's a lot of um, opinions out there, and 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 I don't want to speak out of turn. Other than some of the things that I had planned to do in the near future aren't going to happen. Um, the courses that we're running and the coaching that I'm doing is going to continue, but in terms of me measuring my metrics at some of those events, uh, they might not be happening. So uh, I'll, I'll be talking more about the goals that I have and some of the things that I plan on doing. Um, but because of that, which is which is out of out of all of our hands, really, uh, the state needs to figure that out. Cameo needs to fix that problem because it's a great facility and it's perfect for matches. And 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 in the state, the people that are deciding to do that, I don't think it has anything to do with the people that run Cameo because they're good at their job, they're good at what they do. But because it's um, uh, a state-run facility, they need the the state not the facility. The state needs to sort that stuff out. And um, so I, I, I don't know. Maybe maybe I'll get somebody on that, that uh, actually understands what's happening and explain it, even though that's not the style of this podcast. Uh, or I can ask another podcast to do it because it would be cool to hear somebody and experts talk about that kind of stuff. And I am not that expert. And it, that's a realm that I um, am less comfortable talking about, even just in person. Um, so I'm not, I'm not going to push that uh, too far. I have tested out a couple scopes recently, and I'm really excited about talking about that. Um, Mile High has some cool things, and uh, Frank and I have some cool things. So there's a lot coming down, and now that I've got a couple weeks to hang out here, I'm going to start pumping out more podcasts more regularly. I know there's been kind of a week on, week off um, tempo here, but 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 now that that stuff is is over and I'm here, I'm going to start talking more about uh, some of the fundamentals and some of the fundamental flaws that we've fixed really quickly uh, with individuals that I think you could assess and figure out on your own. And then go back to gun parts. I want to talk about some equipment stuff. And then I want to continue to talk about this and wind uh, some more. I might do a spicy wind interview with somebody. And I want to talk about maintenance. Uh, We were going to do uh, cleaning with Chad, but they put one out on their podcast. So go listen to Miles to Matches where they talk about uh, cleaning their rifles. I'm going to have a carbine expert, uh, my friend Adam, going to come on and talk about maintaining carbines for the field and dirty field conditions so that they run and don't have failures because I think that's worth hearing about and I think it's worth hearing about from the perspective of dirty field conditions because dirty field conditions are reality. 
right? Not square range conditions, multi-day dirty field conditions, running no matter what, because we can have our we can have results, but we can also have um, those results not necessarily highlight the importance of not having failures, right? So uh, when I was talking to him, I was saying like, yeah, I won a big match using my carbine, but I was having failures. Had that carbine, had that not been a match and had that been, um, you know, like a firefight or something in the field where I was going to be out there in those conditions for three days, uh, things probably wouldn't have worked out really well for me, right? So rather than winning a match, I'd probably been overrun and killed because you need to have your rifle up and running. So I'm going to have somebody who's an expert and has experience in competition and using the firearm as a Marine talk about keeping your rifle running in dirty conditions. So not just performance at matches, but just continued reliable performance in the field. And I want to have an expert that works in the industry talk about known, repeatable, on-the-record stuff. So, until next time.